Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. the ultimate kibosh. <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Action Network NFL podcast. It is the week 14 Friday show. I am Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. And joining me to break down all of the games coming up this weekend is Chris Raybon, a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host. If I will take that bet on ESPN+, Plus, you can follow him in the Action Network app at Chris Raybon. Chris, I don't know if you know this, but it is the season for giving. And with that in mind, we want to give away some free Action Network subscriptions to listeners. If you, the listener, want a shot at a free subscription, you have to do three simple things. One, follow Chris and me, as well as our co-host, Peter Jennings, Sean Corner, and Ian Harditz in the Action Network app. Two, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. And then three, send screenshot evidence of the follows and review to podcast at actionnetwork.com. That is the plural podcast at actionnetwork.com. And listen to future shows to hear if you are the lucky recipient. Okay, Chris, you did the Monday show with Ian. I did the Wednesday show with Pete and Oddsmaker. And Renee Miller was the guest. She was great. Be sure to give that episode a listen on the Action Network NFL podcast. Let's jump into it and let's start as we always do. With the first and five segment, we're going to break down the five games that right now are getting the most action in the Action Network app, the games that have the highest ticket counts. And we're starting with Ravens at Chiefs. Wait, Chiefs. wait, 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 wait. What? We don't have, no, we don't have a tally? Like, what's our record on the year? We, you got to start out with the tally. We're just, we just go right in from the free sub. No, yes. We're no going, records? We're, yes. Ah, oh, come on. I know I'm up. I, I might be I, I, you, you probably are up. I haven't I, – honestly, I, I stopped treat, like, keeping track because it didn't seem – because there was, like, the one week when you were on during Thanksgiving. Yeah. And then, like – I, I don't know. I just – I forgot to, like, keep track, and then I just stopped. Damn, I, I forfeit if you want. Oh, I don't know. I mean, so. <laughs> I just more – I mean, you know, I want to see my own results too. But um, now we'll uh, – I'm sure the listeners will uh, will have an idea of, of, of what's been going on. But fine. We'll, we'll start a new – this will be the holiday – the final holiday run, the playoff run. <laughs> the, the playoffs. Wiping the slate clean. Okay. Let's go. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Ravens at Chiefs. Chiefs favored by six and a half, a 53-point over-under. The spread is down from nine. 
Uh, the Ravens are on the positive side of reverse line movement. The Ravens have won three games in a row with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. The Chiefs are still slotted into the number one seed in the AFC. Chris, what are your thoughts on this game? So this is a, this is a, one of those games where you have a really good offense going against a really good defense in the Baltimore Ravens. I think if you're looking to bet this game, where I'm going is the under 53, and that's because the first thing I like to do in these situations is look at similar kind of matchups. So if you look at, you know, for the Kansas City Chiefs, they play the Jacksonville Jaguars, another team with a pretty good uh, defense when it wants to be, um, as we saw last week, but not always. But Kansas City won that game 30 to 14. So that was a 44 point total. Kansas City also played Denver twice. Uh, Denver, one of the top defenses in the league as well. Uh, and, you know, both of those games, so 27-23 KC, that was a 50, and then 30-23 KC, so that was 53. So that's where the over-under is at right now. And then you even look at Baltimore last week, you know, going against a team like the Atlanta Falcons, who, especially at home, had been putting up, a, I think coming into that game, it was 30 points per game at home. Uh, and that was another game that went well under the the total. So I'm liking the under in this game. I think that, you know, without Kareem Hunt, the one thing – that, that he kind of brought that Spencer Ware and, and you know, all the guys that they're going to replace Hunt with don't bring quite as much is that explosiveness. You know, Hunt was hurtling defenders. He was really creating a lot of explosive plays. I, I don't think that will quite be there. And just in general, I think with Baltimore running the way they have, you know, they're running 48.3 times per game over the last three games with Lamar Jackson compared to 23.3 passes per game. Um, now, usually when you have a lot of runs, and especially if you expect the team to be successful running the ball, which I do expect Baltimore because they um, – KC is the, the worst team in the league at defending the run per DVOA from football outsiders. But it, it's a situation where there's – like usually you expect the run to kind of set up the pass, and that's why, you know, the totals go higher. But in this game, Baltimore, I think, is just going to keep on running and running and running. Uh, I think you're going to see uh, less time of possession than you're used to for Patrick Mahomes and these guys. and you know, just not really confident that this game is going to quite make it over that total. So that's where I'm going with this one. I think the spread is interesting because it's like, it's been hovering between 7.5 and 6.5. I think seven is probably the right number, but you know, I don't pretend to be able to kind of decipher what, you know, you know, within those kind of, especially around that key number um, when it's that close, I don't really, I don't really feel that comfortable, you know, betting either side. I think I would go Casey with it at 6.5, but Baltimore at 7.5. So I'm staying away from that, rolling with the under here. Yeah, so I'm kind of conflicted on this one. So my my bold call on the Wednesday show was that the Ravens would win this one outright. So I feel like I locked myself in by trying to be bold. I locked <laughs> myself into to like going on the, the Baltimore side of this. One thing that's interesting is that if you look in the, the matchup manifesto that Ian publishes each week at uh, Action Network, there are two games this week that have two teams facing each other that play with a top 10 uh, situation neutral pace. One of those games is Ravens uh, at Chiefs, uh, and then the other game is Colts and Texans. Uh, and so I hate taking the under on games with teams that tend to play fast because I feel like I'm just, you know what, what I mean? Like I'm just kind of exposing myself to uh to the possibility of teams maybe just being more efficient and then if they continue to play at that fast pace they could hit the over so i i I understand the logic for for the under but uh i think i'm going to stay away from it but i'm going to go with baltimore over 22 and a half points for the uh the team total it's based a lot on the logic of what you've pointed out of uh the chiefs being very weak uh against the run 
And I think that's going to be something that the, the Ravens are going to be able to do against them very well. Uh, and even though they are running uh, a very rudimentary offense, they're still like decently scoring points with it. Uh, even if some of it is like set up with like, you know, short field position or whatever, like they're still able to score some points. And like, I think they are going to have that urgency of needing to score points against the chiefs. So I, I'm going to take the over, but like, I don't have a strong lean on this game either way. Yeah, I think the one thing that's interesting is that, you know, you mentioned like Baltimore, like the fast pace. I think it's, it's such a, it's, it's such an outlier. Baltimore in general is just such an outlier that it's really hard to kind of handicap this because it's like in theory, yeah, like the fast pace, you know, helps all of this, but it's like Baltimore is essentially speeding up the, to run, which keeps the clock going anyway. So it's like, right. it's just such an outlier. Um, but I do feel you. But one thing you always like to bring up is that, you know, when, when you're in Arrowhead, you know, the, the, the Chiefs tend to play better on defense. Um, that's been the case throughout the Andy yeah. Reid era. Yeah. So, um, you know, the under in, in the Andy yeah. Reid era for the, in Arrowhead is 29 15 and one that's a six it's, it's the best home under in the league I, I don't know why I'm not taking the yeah, home under and here. It's, three, it's three one and one this season so I yeah. mean like I like I, I'm, I'm with you like it's it's really difficult to kind of handicap this game and say confidently like Chiefs you know plus seven or I mean plus 6.5 or Ravens you know whatever uh you know plus 7.5 but yeah I think for me it's just I'm sticking with the under I, I the one thing I'm scared about I think like if you're betting on the Chiefs that I think you feel good about is that Again, like it didn't kind of happen with the Falcons, but the Falcons are like, as Chad Millman always says, like they're just heartbreakers. Like they, they break yeah. your heart over and over. Um, but I think the one thing with Baltimore to be concerned about is that like if the Chiefs can get a lead in this game, it kind of changes things because then the Chiefs can, can rush the passer. Then that run defense is not quite as important. Or um, if the Baltimore keeps on running from behind, are they going to be able to catch up? Like is that is that going to be enough even with that run defense to catch up? So I think like – that's the only thing reason like I, I probably um, kind of feel good about the Chiefs at that number. But yeah, it's really tough. Yeah. I mean, the one thing is that even if Lamar Jackson does run, he's basically been as efficient as a runner as he has been as a passer. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like this situation where it's almost like a best case scenario for him, like to, to run when the team is expecting him to pass. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah, we'll just, we'll, we'll see. But I, you're, I think you're on the sharp side of taking the under at Arrowhead. That's just something that you should almost be automatic. Uh, okay, next game. Saints at Buccaneers. Saints favored by nine. A 56-point over-under. The spread is up from eight. The total is down from 57.5. The Saints are coming off a heartbreaking Thursday night football loss. The Bucs have won two straight with Jameis Winston in the starting lineup. This is a rematch of the Bucs' 48-40 week one victory. Uh, of course, Jameis Winston was not in that game. This game being played in Tampa, uh, there is the possibility of precipitations. So uh, people should definitely be sure to monitor that as game time approaches. Chris, what are your thoughts with this game? So this game, uh, really reminiscent of, I think, the Saints-Cowboys game last week, um, where it was, you just felt like the total was a little bit high. Um, I think that this is a situation where you're late in the year and, you know, there's these teams have kind of put all of these stats on, on paper, but some of the, some of them like from earlier in the year, aren't quite as relevant. So for example, Tampa Bay had this nine game stretch after the saints game in week one, where they turned the ball over 29 times in nine games. Now 
you know, that, that created a lot of you know, quarterback back and forth and benchings and whatnot. But the bottom line is that's a ridiculous outlier. Like that's just hard to sustain no matter how bad of a ball security type of team you are. So uh, that was an outlier that tends to drive up scoring uh, turnovers because it creates short fields. Sometimes they get returned for touchdowns and there's not even, you know, not much time goes off the clock. So um, that's one thing that kind of drove up totals in these, in these bucks games. And then on the new Orleans side, you know, in the first few weeks of the season when they didn't have Mark Ingram, they a lot more run heavy. So you know, at, once they got Ingram, once he came back, um, New Orleans aver- is averaging uh, 33 and a half rushing attempts per game and only 28 and a half passing attempts per game. Now they are efficient for the most part running the football, but that's just going to create a little bit more of a, you know, the, from the way New Orleans plays, because they're already efficient through the air, they're going to be efficient through the air no matter what. Um, just kind of limiting their pass attempts like that actually does, I think, um, lower the totals in some of their games. And, you know, we kind of saw that play out with the Cowboys game. And so I think you have a situation where this over under at 56, still a little bit too high. I see why it dropped from uh, 57 and a half where it came out. Um, if you go back to 2005, when two divisional opponents play, uh, in week 11 or later, and the totals above 44, the under is uh, is 169, 104, and three. So that's a 62% hit rate. You know, so you have all these kind of trends. There's also might, like you said, there might be precipitation, might be some wind. So I'm I'm going with the under here. It's my favorite bet. Uh, I wrote it up in the Action Network uh, favorite staff bets for this week. Uh, Bucks Panthers over under was my favorite under was my favorite under the under in that game last week was my favorite bet. Um, so I'm going right back to the well here. I think that I think the, these, these this total is inflated. Yeah, I can see the logic in that, and I think that um, especially because New Orleans is involved in this game, uh, and you know people see this high scoring offense, they would maybe be interested in, in looking at the over. I don't know if I can go on the under just because <laughs> because you have two defenses that I think are pretty exploitable, and you have two offenses that are really good at scoring points. And like, if I took the under and it, would, it went against me, I think I would just look at that and be like, how did I take the under? Like, why did I take the under? Even though like, I, I know that you have two divisional opponents facing each other late in the season, like it's, it's always sharp to take the under. And this is like, even though we are on pace for the highest scoring season in league history, uh, unders are still hitting more than overs, especially uh, if you look after the first month of the season unders are hitting so like it's it's sharp I just I can't do it but one thing I can do is I I feel and like it's correlated like I can take the bucks at plus nine if scoring is low that increases the odds that the bucks are going to cover and you have 81 percent of the tickets 84 percent of the money on the spread backing the saints I think that's too high for a few reasons one because these are teams that you know, our divisional opponents, they are familiar with each other. Uh, and granted, it was it was a different time. You had Fitzpatrick playing in week one, no Mark Ingram. Um, but the Bucks have already beat the Saints once this season. Like, it's not inconceivable for the Bucks to lose by only eight points in this game, especially since they are at home. I'm going to take the Bucs. Uh, I think they have enough offense to to be able to cover. So I'll I'll do it. This is a this is a fascinating kind of case study of all the stuff we kind of preach here at Action Network in terms you know in terms of the market based stuff and, and you know kind of going against the public, but then also like all the biases that I think Bale's really kind of brought, brought to the forefront in a bunch of his books um, earlier you know a few years ago, but like like recency bias and whatnot because like th- so the Bucks 
their defense has played a lot better over these last few games, um, aside from the Giants game. But they've allowed – they allowed 16 to Washington, then they gave up the 38 to the Giants. Then they allowed nine to the 49ers and uh, 17 to the Panthers, right? But it's interesting because when you look at it a little deeper, it's like – I mentioned that nine-game stretch where they return the ball over so much. So, you know, in that same nine-game stretch, I mean – they were giving up – they gave up, you know, ridiculous amounts of, of points on defense in almost every one of those games. So, in these last two games, they've only turned the ball over on offense once, and they've, they've allowed 26 combined points. Um, meanwhile, their defense has gotten six turnovers, right? So, it's obvious, like, that the their offense and defense work together. Like, if, they're de- if their offense is not turning the ball over, it's easier for them to play defense. And um, if they're getting turnovers, um, their offense is better. But in this game, it's – I don't think the Saints like the Saints like Drew Brees threw what it's like his third interception uh I think it was uh of the season last week so Mm -hmm. like that's that's the only reason why I'm staying with the total is like it's like it could be a situation where we're we're kind of recency biased because we just saw the Saints like come back down to earth as we knew they had to eventually like they couldn't continue to sustain that kind of touchdown efficiency through the air on like such limited pass volume but now I almost worry that like we're gonna underestimate like the Saints, that the Saints could just go in here and smash, <laughs> just smash I mean, the Bucks. It's, it's totally it's possible, over, and their defense is playing well. Like, you yeah. Know, like, so yeah, that that's. I mean, it, it's at. possible they're they're playing with extra rest, have more time to prepare. It's, I mean, yeah. If if the Saints crush, it wouldn't be a surprise. Okay, next game here: the Broncos at the 49ers. Broncos favored by four, a forty-five point five over under. The spread is down from five and a half. The total is up from forty-four. The Broncos have won three straight games. They are fighting for a sixth playoff spot. However, they are without uh, some pretty key players. They have lost cornerback Chris Harris and recently wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders. The 49ers have lost three straight games and are in the running for the number one overall pick. Chris, what are you doing with this game? I think you got to go. I think you got to bet on San Fran here, man. Like, And this is not even – this has nothing to do with my uh... – Prior disdain for Vance Joseph. I say prior because I think he, uh, you know, he has done a good job over these last few weeks, um, getting some key wins to get the, the team back in the playoff hunt. Um, but I, I think that there's just such a small margin of victory, uh, you know, between, you know, winning and losing in the NFL, especially when you're talking about two non-elite teams. And, and Denver, I mean, you know, we kind of underestimate it, or maybe not us, but in general, I think it kind of goes overlooked a little way. But it's not like a quarterback or a pass rusher or like, uh, you know, a marquee, marquee star player uh, gets hurt or is out of the game. Um, it goes a little overlooked, but like Emmanuel Sanders is a huge loss for this offense because it almost reminds me of the of the Golden Tate loss for Matthew Stafford, where you know, I remember, you know, it's like everyone's kind of like, all right, whatever. Like this, you know, receivers aren't moving the lines, this and that. But in reality, you know, Golden Tate was responsible for twenty seven percent of Stafford's targets, um, and Emmanuel Sanders is similar, similarly you know, integral to this offense, you know, he's 23% target share. Um, really the, the only guy that can, that can get open here. So like without Sanders, without Chris Harris, this is just like, to me, like, uh, you know, a, a team that, you know, may, may or may not be well coached. Um, I'm not sure, you know, jury still out um, with, you know, poorly quarterbacked, you know, not really much outside of Philip Lindsay um, that, that you can hang your hat on and the pass rushers, which in a game where I don't know if they're going to need um, the pass rushers, so like it's gonna it might not be that kind of game. So like you know on the road I'm not like I, I think it's a toss up. I think Denver has the edge. I think Denver um, you would you would say Denver should win this game, but on the road you know plus four like I, anything more than you know I would say like a point to me is too much. So I'm 
I'm just gonna go San Francisco here. I think San Francisco is well coached enough. And with with the two key injuries for Denver, I just think the talent for these two teams is a lot more equal than um than it would have been otherwise. Okay. Uh, I hear you. You probably saw in this while you were talking yeah. that I changed my pick. So I, this is what my original pick was, and yeah. then I changed it, and now I'm changing it back. I'm, I'm going opposite you. I'm going yes. Denver. And I, I'm taking the, the fishy side on this. I know. Like, you're, you're on the sharp side. I know that. I don't care, obviously, which is why I suck at this game. Um, but from a real perspective, I wouldn't touch this game. Uh, I just I don't feel confident enough in it. But if I had to bet it, there's no way I'm betting on the team that wants to lose. And that is San Francisco. They are starting their fifth string running back, their third string quarterback, and they are as incentivized as any team could be not to win. Okay. And then you have Philip Lindsay, who I think pretty highly of. You have him on the other side. Deshaun Hamilton, I know like he didn't play earlier in the year. He can't be Emmanuel Sanders, but like he's a pretty polished guy. Like, for a rookie, like he's pretty polished. I think he's going to slot in into Emmanuel Sanders' old spot. Cortland Sutton is going to be able to run routes against anyone else besides Richard Sherman because Richard Sherman doesn't move, right? So if they're smart, they will just line him up against anyone else. That's the question. Like, they're not. You are with me, though. You are with me. I know, I know but they aren't smart. Like if this was like, uh, I know, but even even if they're stupid out, and they even, put Sutton against. <laughs> Against Richard Sherman for some of the time. Like, it doesn't mean they have to throw to him. Like, is Case Keen – and then you have the defense, right? Like, Denver's defense, I think, is pretty good. I, I trust them to be able to limit a third-string quarterback and a fifth-string running back and a really uninspiring group of wide receivers. So, so then it's like, uh, is Case Keenum on his side of the ball? Like, can he abuse this San Francisco defense? I think he can do enough given Sutton and given Lindsay. Really, it's, it's given Lindsay. I, th- yeah. I think Lindsay could have a massive game. I mean, yeah, I'm with you on Lindsay. I think Lindsay is their best hope of offense. But, like, I just don't see that, like, San Francisco with, you know, Nick Mullins or whoever, I just don't think this, there's, like, such a separation between these teams to be, like, to be uh, laying points for, for a road team. Like, I, I just, I mean, these are big losses now. We'll see how it plays out. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, if San Francisco got, like, demolished. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Denver lost this game outright either. Like, like straight up lost the game. Which is why I think – which is why I'm betting San Francisco. I just yeah, I mean, I don't want to be – I don't want to be on <laughs> Vance Joseph's side of this. But, I, like, there's no way I want to be on the side of the team that has every motivation to lose. But, you know, I, I forget I, who was talking about this. I think it was – um I don't know if it was Jeff Schwartz over here at Action Network or who it was, but – um, I think it might have been him talking about tanking, though. It's like, like players, players think differently, but right, like you're not still... tanking on the field. Like they're tanking in the sense that like they are they have a third string quarterback out there, right. and they have a third, but like, but the players on that, like this is no like the players are still going to be playing hard. And what I'm saying is like, when these players play hard, they're they're no worse than the team that the Broncos are fielding, um, except that pass rusher. And at like running back, which we know, like you know that that is and a quarterback. At quarterback, they are they are worse. Nah, Keenum, say what you want about Case Keenum, he is better than a third string, undrafted second year guy making his fourth career start. I don't know about that because, all right, I'm not like let me, not, let me not let me not let me not <laughs> let me not say let me not let me not trash Case Keenum like that. What I'm trying to say is, uh, Shanahan coached 
quarterback with a decent O-line in a game that uh, shouldn't get out of hand and put them in obvious vulnerable situations at home. Like, they're a lot more equal than you think. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, Who on this defense is going to stop Philip Lindsay? I mean, it's not a one man. I don't know. Like, it's not a one man. Like, he's got, but he gets off. Like, he's been getting off. To be fair, he's been getting off all year. Like, in wins and losses, it, like win loss or draw, Philip Lindsay has been going off. I mean, he's been he's been one of the most consistent fantasy players in uh, in the league this year. So, like, I, yeah, yes, like yes, Philip Lindsay is going to have a huge game because they're going to have to feed him. I, I would guess they get uh, the other backs more involved as well because who you really throwing to, but um. I, I'm just saying that there's such a small margin with these, with these teams and like on the road in this kind of situation where you lost essentially your, one of your top two players on defense and your best receiver. Yeah, just best receiver. Yeah. Like, it's tough. But yeah. I feel All right. Like, we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, we're, we're going to head to head on this. So we'll, we will see. <laughs> you, better, you, better, you better get these results tallied though for next week. <laughs> People are going to want to know. I'm highly motivated to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Colts at Texans. Texans favored by four and a half, a 49.5 over under. Uh, the Colts are coming off a loss. Uh, they won five games before that, including a 29 to 26 week 10 victory over the Jags who won last week, but uh, had lost seven straight games beforehand, man. I mean, what do you do with this game, Chris? I mean, you know, you know, I you know how I feel about the Texans. Uh, I still think the Texans are a very sneaky team in the AFC because I think they have, you know, the key, key ingredients to uh, pull an upset over one of these other AFC teams um, in their house. So, you know, they have a quarterback that you know, not only is just, is just an all-around awesome quarterback, but one that also has, uh, you know, the key attribute of being able to, to, to move around and get out of pressure and, you know, their offensive line is not very good, but he can mitigate that because he can move around if he, if he needs to. Um, then you have a receiver, like just a top-tier um, stud receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, who, by the way, 70% catch rate this year with him and Watson. His previous career high doesn't even hit 60 unless you round up. So, um, you know, they're, on, they're, they're doing it on another level. Um, you know, even without Will Fuller, you know, Watson has sustained his, his efficiency. It's on lower volume, so it might go a little bit unnoticed. But, you know, his yards per attempt is still up there. Um, Hopkins' efficiency is still up there. Um, and then you have – on the other side, you have a defense with, you know, Clowney, Watt, defense that's been getting better against the pass, started out the year as a pass funnel, um, above average now against the pass, top three against the run. So, you know, I really like Houston. That being said, in this game, these like spreads in the middle of field goal and touchdown are ones I don't really like to touch. I, I think that maybe if the Colts don't play quite as badly last week, uh, the over-under is a little bit higher. Right now it's at 49 and a half. Yeah. I think there's some value there because last time these two teams played, 37-34, a Texans victory in overtime. You know, the Texans are a team that I think are going to be able to, to, to put up some points on the Indianapolis Colts. You know, the, the Colts have given up uh, only 16 and, what is it? Let's see, 16 and a half points per game over their last six games, but they face Buffalo, Jacksonville twice, Miami, Tennessee, Oakland, right? So not exactly a bunch of powerhouses. I, I think Houston can, uh, can do some damage against the Colts' defense. And on the other side, I think, you know, the Colts, you know, not playing Jacksonville, I think that they'll be a little better. The game is, you know, in Houston. It's not, there's no real elements or anything involved in this one. I think you'll see – I think you see them rebound. Um, but I do think – I do want to kind of get your thoughts. Um, I guess after talk about this game, just a little bit about 
like I think we talked a couple of weeks ago about the like the division race and you know I think you you feel like the Colts are still the better team so I want to get your thoughts on that as well just like do you still feel that the the Colts are like the best team in this in this division um or like what do you how do you feel about the Texans yeah it's so I'm so what you mentioned there earlier about um value on the over potentially because Indianapolis really laid an egg last week uh I'm entirely with you there and I think that the value in the over is almost entirely with the Colts, which is why I'm, I'm looking for the Colts uh, at over 22 and a half. But to the, the question of this division, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I still don't look at the Texans and think that they do any one thing well. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, I know that they're nine and three. So like tied with the Patriots, amazingly, you know, like they are, they are in the running to get the number two seed. I just still don't look at them as a team that is that good. Like, like, like what is it holding you back? Cause like, like, all right. Like, is it Deshaun Watson? Cause like Deshaun Watson to me is like already one of the, like, like I look not, at Deshaun Watson as one of the few quarterbacks that like they could go into Arrowhead and have a chance to beat the chiefs because they have Deshaun Watson and he can like be Patrick Mahomes for a game. Like he, he's not yeah. Patrick Mahomes every game. He doesn't have Tyree kill. He only has one guy like, you know, but like, he can, he can be that guy. Like, we saw it last year when their defense was horrible. It's not Deshaun. Uh, a lot of it is just, like, they've won close games, and I think there's some flukiness there. That's fair. Um, and, you know, without Will Fuller to stretch the offense, I think they, they are fairly limited. You know how, like, the, the Cowboys two years ago were winning games, and, like, at the end of the season, it's like, oh, they're the number one seed. and then. They, I mean, it's not as if they got they smashed. lost by an amazing play by a future yeah. Hall of Famer. Yeah, I know, but it's, <laughs> but it's just like, but but then it's like the next season, they were like uh, a, a pretty mediocre That's, team. It's not the next season yet, though. It's still this season. Like, all I'm saying is, like, the youth, the, the Jaguars went into Foxborough last year. If their offense, not even on Blake Borders, if their offensive coordinator does, doesn't, like, mind, you know, mind screw himself out, you know, out of that game by, by, by remembering that he has Blake Borders. Like they probably win that game. Like, and I think it was Deshaun's second start of his career. We, and I think that game was without Will Fuller, if I'm not mistaken. They yeah. lost by three points to the Patriots in Foxborough. So, like, I don't – I get the, the one-score win thing. I think that's a sharp way to look at it because, you know, one-score wins are, you know, historically 50-50. You could go either way. But, I mean, just from, like, the talent that this team has, or at least the star, the star power that this team has, which you know is going to come in the, to, to play in the playoffs. Like, I think this team on any given Sunday can beat any team in the league. I, <laughs> Anything. I, I, no, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's true. Like, look at who they've played. Like, that's not their fault. Like, I'm, I, I'm, I know that's not their fault, but that's still, <laughs> it still reflects on them. Like their wins are overtime against the Colts by three. Like that could have gone either way uh, against the Cowboys in overtime by three. That could have gone either way. And then it's still like, better, oh, congratulations. Thought, you beat the bills. You beat the Jags, you beat the Dolphins, you beat the Broncos, you beat the Redskins in a game in which, like, their quarterback broke his leg. You beat the Titans and you beat the Browns. But, but, but like, those are all, I, like, I think basic non-entity teams. That's fair, but, but at the same time, one of the common things about all of those teams that you also mentioned are all those teams have also been better than, than like, you would think. You know what I mean? Like, the, like, all those teams, like the Redskins, the Titans, like, all those teams, even the Bills, like, they've all been better than, like, what we thought. Or what we would, you know what I mean? So it's like, yes, I get it. The Texans haven't been tested, but like their talent is so high end that 
it's not like I, I would expect them to, to all of a sudden come down. To earth. It's like they've been lucky enough to have a, a schedule that they can win and, and get a really good playoff spot, which, I, which helps them even more, which helps their case even more when you talk about them advancing far into the playoffs. Because if they get a home game or two, I mean, that's, you know, that's, just, that's just more likely for them to win and advance. I, I might be wrong on this because I, I I, I'm not wrong on this. Not one of the teams, the, the, the Bills, the Jags, the Dolphins, the Broncos, the Redskins, the Titans, the Browns, not one of those teams is above 500. They're not, but they're also all like, they're all like 500 and better than we thought. Like they're better than we thought they were, you know, like, like the Redskins, you look at them you're like, oh, they're not going to be good. Like the Titans, same thing, Bills, same, like all those teams are still like above expectation. So like whenever people are like, oh, the Texans have um, beaten these, these bad teams, like, yes, they're not that great, but they're still better than public perception which means the Texans are likely better than public perception. Well, I don't know. I'm just saying Deshaun Watson, J.J. Watt, Genevieve Clowney, and DeAndre Hopkins, you can't, you can't count that, a team like that out. Yeah, you, okay, so here's the thing. I, just, I don't want to back the team that I think has won nine games in a row in a really <laughs> fluky way. Like, I don't, I don't want to back that team. At the same time, I don't really want to bet against them because it's like, well, I'm going to look like the idiot when they win their 10th game in a row. But I feel confident in the Colts' ability to score points. So okay. that's, that's where I'm going. We should, but, we should. but if I had to choose a side, I would absolutely take the Colts plus four and a half. What did you make of them kind of – because I think we talked about this maybe a couple of weeks ago um, in the same conversation, but like Andrew Luck with that with – that, you know, like unsustainable touchdown rate. What do you make of that, you know, going forward? Um, because like to me it kind of looks like a, a high ceiling low floor situation where like we keep thinking we kept thinking of Andrew Luck's target depth and like it's to do with his shoulder right and it's like oh my god like his, his yards per attempt as well because he started the year he wasn't throwing deep I'm starting to look at this and think it has it's not as much to do just with his shoulder as like his supporting cast is like historically bad oh, outside bad. right it's and, bad. And like Eric Ebron, it's like, like, okay, why is he having this amazing season in Indianapolis? Like, it's not just because Eric Ebron had this like rebirth. It's because it's like by default. Yeah, that was that was entirely <laughs> the investment thesis for Ebron entering yeah. the season was that the team was so bereft of wide receiver talent that they would basically need to use him as a glorified wide receiver. It, it, yeah. It's it's amazing because like I looked at the numbers and. So they have T.Y. Hilton, who's averaging a five-year low in yards per catch, 14.8. Good for normal receiver, not good for T.Y. Yeah. Um, and then you have Ebron at 10.9 yards per catch. There's eight other players who have been targeted at least 15 times on the Colts, besides those two guys. None of them average even double digits yards per reception. So it's yeah. like Lux yards per uh, uh, average depth of target is like 7.3. That's in line with Drew Brees, like all these other you know quarterbacks that – have like high yard per attempt figures. The real issue is that these receivers haven't created anything to help out Luck. So like this, right. this is look like a, a really I think fascinating situation of like how long can Luck play out of his mind? Because I think everyone's gonna kind of pin it on Luck if if the offense starts to slow down. And in reality it's not even on Luck. It's on like Ryan Grant and, and Ch- like you realize that Dontrell Inman, they pick him up <laughs> in like week five and he's right. like their number three. Like that right. like that should tell you all you need to know. Like Chester Rogers was catching like nine, ten balls for them. This dude played like, uh, like, like, like. I don't even know if he got to like twenty uh, percent snap rate last week. A, a guy named Zach Pascal was doing something <laughs> for his team at some point. Yes, it's just, yes. Yeah, they they have a lot of yes. uh, of just non entities at the receiver position. And if you factor out the first three weeks of the season when Luck was really avoiding any downfield mm-hmm. throws, if you factor those out his A dot from weeks four to now 
is very much in line with what you saw out of him before the shoulder injury. So, I mean, I don't want to say that he's like totally back to himself, but like we're not seeing something all that far from the luck that we saw pre-injury. I think the big difference, as you mentioned, is just the receiving talent around yeah. him. They're, no, they're number two in third down rate, but what happens when you don't hit those third downs, you're, you're just going at such a, like your yards per attempt is low. So that means it takes you, um, it's just harder to catch up. And they're also number 27 on fourth down. So like, it just, it's so illustrative of like, what happens if, if luck doesn't play out of his mind everything just goes okay the fifth game uh panthers at browns panthers favored by one and a half points a 47 over under the spread is up from a pick the panthers have lost four straight games the browns are still uh relevant at four seven and one playing at home for the first time since week 10 what are your thoughts here i mean first of all this is not just it's not just our fifth game this is the game that you guys out there the listeners that they chose as the fifth game. So shout out to all y'all. Thank you for listening all year. Um, we're going to try to keep doing these um, for the rest of the season and going forward, um, just getting you guys more involved in, in what we talk about on here. So be sure to, uh, to tweet Matt and I any, uh, any suggestions or any feedback you guys have as far as that goes. But as far as this game, uh, so this is the game that, you know, from a narrative standpoint, some people think that, that Ron Rivera has to win or he's going to get fired. I don't personally think that I don't, I wouldn't bet on Rivera being the next coach fired either way. I would still go Todd Bowles. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yo, I'm, I'm in New York. I, I, I see what's going on. I, I, it's just hard to find a reason, enough justification yeah. to leave to, to whatever. That's a whole nother game. Anyway. Um, and this one, the first thing that's interesting is that there's two opposite kind of funnel defenses situations going on. So the Panthers are number 28 in efficiency against the pass per football outsiders DVOA and they're number eight against the run on the other side of the ball on the other team excuse me you have Cleveland they're number four against the run um they're number four against the pass excuse me and number 26 against the run so that's that's kind of interesting Panthers you know you can throw on them Browns you can run on them I think that does favor well first of all I think Baker Mayfield's played um you know you know kind of getting you Jackson out of there has really kind of helped Baker Mayfield um one thing that I think that's really interesting with Mayfield is that and it's not been the greatest thing for fantasy but he's spreading the ball around a little more like their leader in uh, Justin Bailey of uh of Fantasy Labs Action Network just tweeted uh out that you know like the the targets rates since Freddie Kitchens took over and what you see is like the top receiver for them. It's still Jarvis Landry, but his target rate is down in like that low 20s as opposed to it was like up near 30 previously. So they're spreading the ball around a lot more. But in this one, I still think Carolina is the better team. I think that if there was ever kind of like a narrative situation, I would kind of I would kind of go with Carolina here. I, I think they are kind of feeling desperate. I think they are feeling like they need to they need to get this one uh, for their head coach. And the fact that Cleveland's weakness has been against a run plays right into Carolina's uh, hands because, of course, you have Cam Newton now. I know, I know he popped up on the injury report, so maybe he doesn't want to run quite as much in this game. But um, you still have Christian McCaffrey, who's been, um, I, I think, exceeded all expectations when you consider the workload that he's received this season. I mean, he's playing. There's games where he, he, doesn't, he barely comes off the field for a snap. So um, especially when C.J. Anderson has gone. So I, I think that this favors Carolina. And then there's also some like some of the market-based stuff as well that, that favors Carolina because they have lost four games straight. They have uh, failed to cover in four games straight. And uh, John Ewing over at the Action Network, you know, he always does a great job, you know, unearthing these trends for our betting guys, which are – I always love to read them just as like a gut check on, you know, try to get my biases out of here. And um, before I 
uh, do a lot of things in fantasy as well. But teams that have lost four games straight, straight up and against the spread, are 49, 32, and one when they're on the road in their next game against the spread. So that's a 61% hit rate. And when that when those teams are favored on the road, uh, they've been eight and one against the spread. So there's a lot of things I think that um, kind of favor Carolina in the spot. And also, as you probably will point out as well, their their last three losses after that Pittsburgh blowout were by one score: 2019 against Detroit, 30-27 to Seattle, and 24-17 to Tampa Bay. Yeah. Uh... I mean, I don't know if I really have much to add. I'm with you on the side of Carolina one and a half. Yeah, those three last games. I mean, there was no way they were winning on Thursday night football against the Steelers. Like once that game started, that wasn't close. Um, but their their three uh, games after that, they could have won all those games. Like I think they're better than a six and six team. Uh, and I think the the Browns are basically exactly what their record says they are. You know, like they're they're around a four seven and one team. You know, like they could they could put up a fight. You could see how they could win this game. But, you know, one and a half points, I think the Panthers are the better team. You know, they're more incentivized. Like not only are they playing potentially for the head coach's job, but like they they still have a shot at the playoffs. You know, so I, I'm I'm going with them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, anytime you're looking at a one one and a half point spread, I mean, I think if you like the, what's the probability of a team that's favored by one and a half winning like 53 or something like that? It's yeah, it's definitely a close game. But uh. Going back to that Steelers loss that you knew they were going to lose, would you say that was because of a, a certain number one receiver that was playing on the Steelers? No, we're not. We're not, even, <laughs> we're not even going there. I'm saying once that game started, like there, that, like that wasn't a close game the way that the others were close. And let's let's not even. I mean, if we want to have a conversation about Antonio Brown, oh. like I've been on, I've been on too many podcasts talking about Antonio Brown. But I like I, 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 I'll say it. I'll say it. I, I feel we're not even in, in the, the Steelers section of the show. But like I'll say, it. I, like I, I think I'm going to be on the right side of that one. Like as as weird as backwards as this sounds, that Antonio had like only uh, 150 yards in a touchdown in in the smash spot of like 13 targets. Home favorite, primetime, non divisional opponent. Like two years ago, that is a bigger game. He's still having the least efficient season of his career. And the thing is, like, he's probably going to slay this week. He's going <laughs> to slay the week after that. Like, his closing schedule is ridiculous. So, like, I'm going to end up looking like a donkey. And maybe I was a donkey, but, like, that doesn't change the fact that, like, this is like the canary in the coal mine. Like, there is legitimate danger here. Because, like, if at some point it's like there's like a, like a stool with, like, three legs. And one of those legs right now is really wobbly, and that's his efficiency. And, like, at some point, that can impact his volume and his touchdown potential. So, like, if at some point he starts to get fewer targets uh, and or fewer targets in the end zone or in the red zone, like, it's going to go, like, from everyone thinking that Antonio Brown is the top receiver in the league to everyone really quickly realizing he's maybe, like, the 18th best guy. And like we're maybe a year away from that, you know okay, what I'm I, saying? Yeah, and I, I, I do, I do know what you're saying. Um, I think we should talk about this if we have to go a little faster um, at, at some other point in the show. Um, so be it. But I think it's an important conversation. I think it's an interesting one. Um, and I think it brings to light, like, okay, the one thing I, I think I thought about when, like, after the fact was that, like, you were comparing kind of his efficiency to uh, others on on the team, right? And one thing I was thinking about that was like, hmm, but now that I think about it, like. So like he his effect it's kind of like the Tyreek Hill effect right like right uh, uh 
what did Tyreek Hill do against the Raiders? Like on the like a one one catch or something like that. He didn't have a, a big stat line, but like they put up forty points. Mahomes, you know, threw the ball well. So it's like he almost can't compare his efficiency to like the others on his team because just his presence in the lineup would probably jack up their efficiencies because he's always go- by default going to be the double covered, triple covered um guy. So like by so like by nature, his degree of difficulty is already probably the highest in the league. But also, so like yard per target, and I've, this got me too because it got me with it got me with Corey Davis, where like I knew that Corey Davis was like a talented receiver, but because he had produced so many garbage yard per target games back to back to back to back, I think I started to think less of him, like subconsciously, even though there wasn't really any issue with him. And it, like yards per target, like as opposed to like yards per route, and those they stabilize quicker, but yards per target. Uh, I believe it takes like 205 uh, targets to stabilize. So like it's could, it could very well be like noise or uh, Big Ben because the Steelers also pass a lot, right? So right. yeah, they like, pass more than any other right. team in the league. So, so yeah. another another thought I had, like more of like a devil's advocate, is like a wasted target to Antonio Brown might be less wasted than the average NFL target because number one, it's probably on average coming a little earlier in the downs because Pittsburgh just passes so much. So like mm-hmm. they're more liable to pass on first down and pass on second and still have another two, like one down or two downs to make that up. And then number two, it's like a target, an incomplete target to Antonio Brown still like kind of has that same effect I was talking about before where it's still like you're, you're showing the defense that you're going to target this guy covered open. Right whatever yeah. um, and that and then like Juju Smith-Schuster gets single coverage and he could just run away from somebody or like Justin Hus- Hunter's wide open in the end zone of course Ben Roethlisberger misses him which is why I think there's there is definitely some kind of like I think there's a lot of things at play here I, I think that obviously Antonio Brown at this age is not going back to like you know 2014 Antonio but I'm not I'm just not sure that like to me he's still the best receiver in the league and, and I, I feel like to you I, I don't think he is Right. No, he's. I think he's pretty clearly not the best receiver in the league at this point. But how is that clear? Just because, just because of efficiency? Because like, like I feel like putting up like these kind of numbers with this volume, like regardless of efficiency, like I, I, I know some players they're just force fed the ball and it's inefficient. Like the Steelers' offense is like they're putting up points. You know, Big Ben's numbers are are there. Like, ju- like the receivers around him, like you said, are doing well probably because of him. Like, I, I don't think I haven't seen the drop off. Um, to where I say that he isn't. I don't think really anyone's changed their game that much this year. I mean, if the one guy I would say that, like, if you want to make that argument would, would be would be DeAndre, just because, like, he's got, like, a 10% higher catch rate. He's catching 70% of his passes on nine five targets as, like, the only guy here now. So, like, I could, I could see DeAndre, but, like, he doesn't have that quick twitch. Like, he's just – I don't know. It's just, like – I, I think I still got to go Antonio. Okay, so I would say DeAndre has a real argument for being better. I think Odell Beckham has an argument for being better. This might sound blasphemous. I think Tyreek Hill has an argument at this point for being better. I, but see, with Tyreek Hill, and, and you could make this argument to, to, a, to, a, like, to an extent with AB, like, okay, you could say Ben Roethlisberger, he's playing with a Hall of Fame quarter, future Hall of Fame quarterback. But like Tyreek Hill, when he really went to the next level, and he was always, like, I called him a generational talent before this year even started. So like, I'm with you that Tyreek Hill is probably better than the, perception right we see like he is then a former perception but like Antonio Brown is just like without as much speed as uh Tyreek Hill like essentially does more on a more consistent basis I mean like this is kind of this a little bit reminds me of like the point I was making so I totally get you about Alshon Jeffrey earlier this year 
when, when it was like, yo, he had all these touchdowns and it was kind of masking the fact that he was very inefficient with um, last year with Carson Wentz. And like, right. now you're starting to see that play out. So, I mean, like I said, like I totally take this, this seriously. I, I think it's something to think about. Um, but like Antonio's scoring these touchdowns, but he's also catching balls and putting up yards, you know, like it's like, and it's like, he's, it's not like, it's inefficient he, for he him. Is, he for is him. and he isn't. Right, no, that's, but that is the <laughs> point. He is inefficient for him. I didn't even mention Julio Jones, right? Julio legit might be better than Antonio Brown. Nah. I, I, I was, I, like, honestly, so, and this is, this is a whole nother conversation, so I'll try not to get too deep on a rabbit hole in this, but to me, Julio's always a level below all those guys because, number one, it's like he has – the, and it, it's not his fault per se, but he has the advantage of just this body type that is just like unstoppable. But yet, even with this body type, he he, he can't he never really managed to be a, above average touchdown scorer, and like he just never manages to really like have the impact that 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 he should, considering the numbers that he puts. It's like to me, yeah, it's like always you been know like how, second. You team. know how fluky touchdowns are. They are, but like. They are fluky. I, I understand, like, the observing them as a rate statistic is fluky. I do understand that. But, like, that doesn't change the fact that, like, over time – because, like, remember, every statistic is going to stabilize given enough um, sample size, right? So, like, over time, Julio has kind of proven to be uh, this kind of lackadaisical touchdown score. It's not just like, okay, he had a, he had a really unlucky year this year, and he had an unlucky year – it's like this has been a thing for years now to the point where, like, uh, there is some predictive ability within that, that his lower touchdown rate, just as there is in Antonio Brown's um, heightened one. So, like, I, to me – Yeah, like, but I don't know what – so this is, like, I, from, like, a, more of, like, a real football perspective. I don't know what the ability to score touchdowns I – don't, I don't know if that reflects as much as, it, as you think it does back onto the skill a player has. Like, I think Julio Jones's ability from his own goal line to, let's say, like, the opponent's 10-yard line, like, I think that is probably just as reflective of his ability as what he can do in the final 10 yards. And I think in the first 90 yards, he's better than Antonio Brown is. I, I would disagree. Um, I, I, like, I see – I get what you're saying, but I just think that there's other – like, there's other ways to kind of get those yards. And I do think those those last 10 yards are really important because – I mean, like, we, for example, I'll give you an example. Like, I believe it was last season when we saw Antonio Brown. No, actually, well, this season too, but we've seen Antonio Brown win games with touchdowns that many receivers don't score. Like, you know, like, the, was it a game against Baltimore? Was it this year? Was it last year or two years ago where he, like, muscled his way on a second effort across the goal line? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like touchdowns make a difference. Um, I, I think more so for receivers than running backs because, you know, running backs are more right place, right time. But when we talk about a receiver's efficiency, that's just not even just AB anyone's. Like it's re- just like when we talk about running backs and yards for carry, it's like yards for target is some mix of quarterback receiver anyway. So it's like when we talk about Antonio Brown's efficiency, what we're really talking about is like the Antonio Brown Big Ben connection. Just like when we talk about. Yeah. yeah. So it's like. That's why I can't like sit here and like say any. There's like any tangible, real like evidence of like um any type of like significant drop off, other than like you know Big Ben is throwing more uncatchable balls to Antonio. Um, you know Big Ben is kind of. I mean, look at Big Ben's interception rate. Like you know intercept uh, completion percentage predicts you know interception rate better. So it's like Big Ben's throwing picks. So that means like he's also like he's not necessarily always on target with the ball. Um, I think a lot of things are playing into it. 
So I, I don't know. I just don't. I, just, yeah, I mean, I think, I think things are playing into it. So here's the thing. I think it's a conversation worth having. And before my article, no one was having it. Right. But yeah. Okay. And, and, and so, yeah. and so there are a few things I think to kind of put a bow on this. Like I agree that um, it's not Antonio Brown's efficiency versus the efficiency of his teammates. Like you can't look at that just in the vacuum of what's happening this year. What I think is significant uh, is that his efficiency with uh, Roethlisberger has gone down this year relative to where it was last year. And everyone else on the team, their efficiency has gone up relative to where it was in the past, right? So, like, I think, like, to me, that is a signal that it's not like a Roethlisberger thing of, like, he's bad all the way around. It's something that is localized to their connection. Uh, And you can interpret, like, what it is that that means. But then when you also place that against the backdrop of Antonio Brown, based on a number of statistics, but uh, racer, the statistic created by John, uh, Josh Hermsmeyer, like that's one of them. You could look at the expected points uh, statistic at Rotoviz, right? Based on, on a number of statistics, he's gotten progressively less efficient each season. And like when he's astronomically the most productive player in the world in 2014, if he drops off just a little bit in 2015 and a little bit in 2016, you don't even notice it because he's still so much better than everybody else. Right. But when he continues to drop off just a little bit, like at this point, he's now like 66% as efficient as he was in 2014. Like that might continue, like that curve might get even steeper next year. And so like, I guess like this is like the warning of, I think if everyone enters 2019 believing absolutely that Antonio Brown is the number one receiver and drafting him as if he is, like they could be opening themselves up to a lot of liability later. That's fair. That's definitely fair because, you know, these things, again, like these wide receivers, um, especially ones that have played that, you know, physically above the means of like anyone else in the league for so long, you know, anytime you have any type of drop off, it could manifest itself. The one final thing I'll say is that, and like this is, this is just more so like, I'm what I, I feel like we need more numbers. Like, I'd wonder what is the coverage? How is the coverage affecting this? Because one thing that's kind of changed for the Steelers this year compared to years past is that they really don't have a deep threat now. Like, it, James Washington has not worked right. out. Um, right. Mar- like, even Martavis was on the field last year. He wasn't a huge factor, but he was running clear outs every play. So, like, like now, like, I just wonder if perhaps, and like, I'm sure I think maybe Sports Info Solutions, somebody probably has this information next gen, but like, how are like the what how are the defenders around him uh on his target point uh how right. is that affecting yeah. um you know because it, it could just be defenses you're, are selling out more than ever like i, I don't you're know right that, that is a huge know? that's a huge point yeah. and like and we don't we don't have the data on yeah, it I don't have and, any, I don't. And, and maybe like if we dig more somehow we can find the data on it like my, i would venture to say that um with juju playing as like the best receiver with whom antonio brown has ever been paired brown shouldn't be facing more defensive attention than he's ever been facing in his career you know what I mean that is fair but it's what it is it's a lot of times it's a spatial thing so it's right, like right. it's like they it's, it's just like the same reason that like the Eagles offense we talked about it's kind of struggling because they like they have Alshon and Tate and 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 all these guys that are good and Ertz but they don't have Mike Wallace or Torrey Smith and right. that actually might have been a bigger loss so it's like yes Juju is amazing but he's also a guy that you generally have to defend 
in a certain area of the field that's like not as hard to defend. That's all. But you're like, yeah, right. like I, we have to figure. We'll, we'll we'll probably get more data on, it, especially now that we talked about it on here. I'm sure somebody yeah. will uh, tweet us. Yeah, I'm sure lots of you are going to tweet us. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know how stupid right. I am. Okay, God, we are so far <laughs> off the rails on this show. Uh, all right, we have the two minute drill, the quote unquote two minute drill coming up next. Right after Josh Applebaum tells us which game the wise guys are betting this week. Money talks and action. Applebaum is all ears. This is the Sharp Report. NFL Week 14. We are traveling to San Francisco for a four o'clock matchup between the six and six Denver Broncos and the two and ten San Francisco 49ers. Public betters take one look at the records of these two teams and say automatic fade for the two and ten Niners. But sharps are buying low on San Francisco to keep it close in this one. This game opened with Denver as a minus five and a half road favorite. Currently 71% of spread bets are laying the points with Denver. However, we've seen this line fall from Denver minus five and a half to Denver minus four. Why would the odds makers drop the line on Denver to give public Broncos backers an easier shot at covering? It's because they got hit with big wise guy sharp action on San Francisco, which caused reverse line movement in favor of San Fran. San Fran also enjoys a really valuable bet first dollar discrepancy. It's one of the most heavily bet games of the weekend, and San Fran is only getting 29% of spread bets, but that accounts for 63% of spread dollars. So that's really telling you that the big sharper wagers are grabbing the points with San Fran, where the average Joe $5 bets are grabbing Denver. We've also seen a ton of steam and reverse line move bet signals on San Fran all across the market. Sharps have been getting down on San Fran, causing seven separate steam and reverse line moves coming from uh, San Fran plus five and a half, plus six and a half, plus seven, all the way down to San Fran uh, plus five, and even a late move on San Fran plus four. So even though public bettors are hammering Case Keenum and Denver, Sharps are buying low on San Fran. San Fran also finds themselves in a profitable historical spot. They fit the Bet Lab system pro match, uh, pro ATS records. This system is basically buying low on teams that do not cover, uh, going against teams that cover a lot. So when square bettors uh, bet on a team in cash, they're going to want to continue to bet them. When they bet on a team and lose, they're going to want to fade them. Uh, And it's human nature, but this just provides great opportunity to buy low on a team that doesn't cover and fade a team that does cover. Uh, And this pro ATS records bet lab system is 61.6% ATS, uh, over 51 units won since 2005 with a 19% ROI. Uh, so week 14, even though public bettors are hammering Denver, Sharps are buying low on San Fran at home to lose by less than a touchdown. Okay, uh, that was Josh Applebaum. Be sure to check out his article, The Sharp Report, on the Action Network. Uh, Chris, let's run through these remaining non-primetime uh, games. The Eagles at the Cowboys. Cowboys favored by three and a half, a 44-point over-under. The Eagles have won two straight games for the first time all year. The Cowboys have won four straight and could create a lot of separation in the division with a win. Philadelphia's pass offense, let's talk about it. Their target leader since the Golden Tate trade, still Zach Ertz, 26%. But their air yard leader, Nelson Aguilar, 26%. Alshon Jeffrey, third on the team in targets since the Golden Tate trade, and fourth on the team in air yards. It's not necessarily going to get easier against the Cowboys. Their best defense tends to be on the perimeter against the bigger receiver types because they have uh, Byron Jones and Chidobe Awujie out there. And uh, I'll just throw in uh, one of my stats that I love to tweet out 
the under now 27 and 17 at 61 percent all time in games started in the regular season by Dak Prescott yeah love the Dak under uh Patriots at Dolphins Pats favored by seven and a half a 47 point over under the spread is down from nine uh 26 percent of the tickets 52 percent of the money is on the Dolphins uh the Pats are in the running for a playoff by the Dolphins are fighting for the number six seed this is a rematch of the Patriots 38-7 uh week four home victory Yes, I mean, the Patriots, they always struggle um, in Miami. But the thing that got my attention here, Miami cornerback Xavier Howard uh, looks like he's doubtful, has having a a knee issue. There's actually word that he might have had surgery. Um, But anyway, uh, he's allowing a 50% completion rate, a four to seven uh, touchdown and interception ratio and a uh, 62.6, 61.6 passer rating. Uh, this season so that's an that's an if he he looks like he's gonna miss again that's an upgrade for the the outside receivers especially uh josh gordon who he might have shadowed okay the antonio led steelers at the raiders uh steelers favored by 10 and a half a 51.5 over under the spread is down from 13 the steelers have lost two straight they're playing their third game of their third road game in four weeks uh and the, the raiders are playing sort of for the the number one pick in the draft so this one is all about you know james connor is going to be out uh, in that Panthers game, when uh, Connor played only 41% of the snaps, uh, Jalen Samuels played 29% and uh, went five carries for seven yards on the ground, but uh, three for 22 through the air with a touchdown on four targets. Stephen Ridley mixed in for 17% of the snaps, but did get eight carries uh, for 26 yards, only was targeted once, did not uh, catch that pass. Samuels is the better pass blocker. His pass blocking rating uh, – from Pro Football Focus is 82.5 compared to Ridley's 72.4. And uh, they Samuels has more receiving touchdowns over the last four weeks of his rookie season than Stephen Ridley, the veteran, has in his entire career. That's two to zero. Um, and, and, and then I know you uh, you wrote up the uh, this under as your favorite bet in our Action Network staff bets uh, this year. I believe it was 10 and 28 uh, to the under and Steelers Road games in the yeah. All-Pro AD era. Yeah, so yeah. – Yep. Yeah. I mean, if, if he were better, they uh, they would cover more. Than <laughs> <now>. <laughs> All right. Okay. The Falcons at the Packers. Packers favored by five. A 50.5 over under. The spread is up from four. The total is up from 48. Uh, the Falcons have lost four straight. The Packers have lost five of six since their week seven bye. Uh, and they've fired longtime head coach Mike McCarthy after losing at home to the lowly Cardinals last week. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of the focus here is on the Packers and and their struggles, but uh, Atlanta's having some struggles of their own. They're averaging just 20 points per game on the road, and they haven't scored 20 points at home or on the road in their last four games. So um, don't don't overlook the, the the Falcon struggling as well. The Lions at the Cardinals. Lions favored by three, a 40.5 over under. The spread is up from one. Uh, the Lions have lost five of six games. The Cardinals are coming off a big win against the Packers. They're playing at home after two straight road games. So Christian Kirk, the rookie out for the year, he was responsible for 19% of their targets, 24% of their air yards, undrafted free agent wide receiver Trent Sherfield, 20% of the air yards last week if you need a desperation uh, pickup. All right, Bengals at Chargers. Chargers favored by 14, a 47.5 over under. The Bengals have lost four straight games, aren't without quarterback Andy Dalton and wide receiver A.J. Green. The Chargers have lost only one game since week four, and they are coming off a big Sunday night football win over the Steelers. So this one uh, looks like Melvin Gordon, pretty iffy to play, probably won't play. Um, So Coach Anthony Lynn had a quote, uh, had a few quotes to the media about the, the running back situation 
what he said about Austin Eckler was he's wearing down a little bit. He's a core special teams guy for us, and he's played a lot of running back for us, so he's a little tired. You might see Justin Jackson play a little bit more, and you might see Detrez Newsome play some this week. In the second half against the Steelers last week in that upset, uh, Jackson nine touches, Eckler eight touches. Um, This is important because Cincinnati versus running backs over their last four games, 220.5 total yards per game to running backs and nine touchdowns over those four games. So that's a, that's 2.3 per game. All right. Giants at Redskins giants favored by three and a half, a 41 point over under the spread has moved from uh, plus one and a half giants with the injury to Colt McCoy. The giants have won three or four games since their bye. the Redskins are starting Mark Sanchez, a quarterback and have lost three straight. This is a rematch of the Redskins 20 to 13 road win in re uh, in week eight. I mean, Colt McCoy moving the spreads where, Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Oh, that threw me off. <laughs> Josh Norman though. That's always kind of the, the key question on everyone's mind. Anytime the giants um, and the Redskins play like Josh Norman, Odo Beckham. So Josh Norman this season hasn't been great. Uh, 71% completion percentage allowed 9.6 yards per target allowed five touchdowns to three interceptions and four pass breakups per PFF. So uh, I don't think this is a, should be any trouble, even if they shadow. All right, Jets at Bills. I can't believe we're even talking about this game. Uh, Bills favored by three, a 38-point over-under. This is the game no one cares about. The Jets have lost six straight, including in Week 10, uh, when they lost 41-10 to 10 against the Bills, who are a mediocre three and four in quarterback Josh Allen's starts. So Josh Allen to – The two wide receivers they released this week, Kelvin Benjamin and Andre Holmes, who got picked up by the uh, Broncos. To to those two guys, he was 18 of 43. That's a 41.8% completion percentage, 239 yards. That's 5.6 per attempt, one touchdown. That's a a 2.3% touchdown rate. But to all other receivers he has targeted this season, he's 83 of 140. That's a 59% completion rate, so 59 versus 42 um 954 yards to those guys that's 6.8 yards per attempt not great but you know in line with a normal rookie and four touchdowns so the touchdown rate increases a little bit 2.9 percent so josh allen i think a little bit little bit underrated overlooked adding a lot on the ground i think he's a solid fantasy option i think he's a little better than uh than we than we expected as well in real life okay Coming up is our third and long segment on lineup building and slate strategy right after we check in with Johnny Ween for some trend-based sports betting insights. Good data is always in fashion. Here's John Ewing with Trend of the Week. Casual bettors like wagering on the over. The over has received a majority of tickets in more than 80% of NFL games in the Bet Labs database since 2003. Odds makers know this and inflate the lines, which creates value for under bettors. Since 2003, it has been profitable to bet the under in high total games, more than 45 points, with significant line movement, at least a one-point move. This system works best late in the season as injuries limit the effectiveness of offenses and quarterbacks facing a divisional opponent for the second time have typically performed worse. Since 2003, betting unders that match this system have hit at a 58%, that's 163 and 118 record. Three games match for Sunday. Packers-Falcons, Chargers-Bengals, and 49ers-Broncos. A majority of bets are on the over in these games, but sharp bettors should fade the public and wager on the under. All right, that was John Ewing. Be sure to check out his sports betting articles each week at the Action Network. Chris, we are going to sprint 
through this section. Okay. So I, I know you, you like to get long winded over there. I'm not gonna I, mean, let you I wasn't it. the one that slid the best receiver in football and prompted the extra uh, interlude, but okay. Oh, uh, man. Okay. All right. Uh, let's talk some strategy. Let's look at the highest owned uh, players in terms of their projections in the Fantasy Labs models. Let's think about who we want to roster, who we might want to pivot away from, who we might want to pivot to. Let's start at quarterback. Uh, and let's look at Drew Brees and Jameis Winston playing in that, uh, that game with a very high total uh, in Tampa Bay. What are your thoughts on those two guys? Yeah, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier. I think it could underwhelm a little just because of, you, you know, I think the total's a little bit inflated. Don't love Breeze on the road because of the the low pass volume I mentioned, you know, 28.5 attempts only um, per game since uh, Mark Ingram came back. So um, for me, and then oh, if you look at our trends tool, uh, at home, plus 9.87, uh, plus minus at, on average at, in home games this season, but a negative 0.26 on the road. So Breeze is not really a guy I'm targeting in, in cash games. Um, I'm, I'm looking more at Deshaun Watson um, at that, at that 5,900 mark on DraftKings, And uh, I, I think that's really kind of the, the going to be going to be the guy uh, for me. I could see, uh, I could see Cam Newton if we, we get word that he's fully healthy or even Aaron Rodgers sitting mm-hmm. at 60 at 6k. But um, I think Breeze and um, I, I'd rather play Winston to be honest with you um, yeah. than, than Breeze at this point, just because of the volume creates such a, uh, a, a low floor that we kind of still come out against Dallas. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and that team is such a, a pass-heavy team anyway. And then uh, you could easily see how they could maybe have a, a pass-heavy game script uh, in this contest. Of course, again, the one thing to monitor would be the uh, precipitation. Uh, if it's raining in Tampa Bay, obviously that's that's a game I'd want to stay away from uh, in terms of the quarterbacks for cash games. I mean, regardless, I am interested in Winston in terms of his uh, his prop yardage. Uh, I think uh, that could that could end up being good going against the. Uh, going against the Saints. Uh, and as always, I will be using the Fantasy Labs prop tool, which is powered by our industry-leading projections created by Sean Corner, a.k.a. the odds maker. This season, the NFL props with a bet quality of 10 are 207, 92, and 11, good for a smoking hit rate of 67%. To access the tool, subscribe to Fantasy Labs, where you can get a five-day trial for just fifteen ninety-five. Uh, you mentioned Deshaun Watson going against Indianapolis. Uh, we've talked about him a little bit. Any other thoughts? Uh, you know, I mean, I think, you know, in tournaments, you know, walk maybe a little bit, a little bit under own just because he came, he's coming off the bad game, but, uh, you know, obviously playing out of his mind, always lot, he has low floor, but high ceiling. So I think, um, he's another guy that you might want to jump back on when it goes, when it comes to tournaments, big Ben, uh, he's kind of priced up a little bit. Interestingly enough though, his home road splits this season have actually been fine. Like he's uh, mm-hmm. plus 6.65 average plus minus at home per the trends tool plus 6.75 uh, on the road on DraftKings um, per the trends tool. So, you know, not no real drop off this year. Don't know if it's noise. Don't know if it's not, but um, it's the Raiders. So he should be all right. Yeah. And I think part of that is due to a couple of things. One is obviously the great play of Antonio Brown. And then the, the second thing is that uh, DraftKings this year really has made, I think a concerted effort to try to change their salaries based on certain splits or certain matchups. Mm-hmm. And so this year they, they have, uh, I think, a really made an effort to price uh, Roethlisberger down when he's on the road relative to what they've done in the past. So I, I think that's something just kind of like in the market that has changed this year. Uh, let's talk about running backs uh, and let's stay at that game. Jalen Samuels, uh, who I think is kind of like one of the main storylines of this slate going against the Raiders. Uh, so a good matchup for him, obviously on the road. So not that great of a spot, but his team is favored by a lot. And uh, the important thing is that 
uh, he's very cheap. So he's someone that a lot of people really might be thinking about uh, putting into their cash game lineups for some salary relief in our rankings at Fantasy Labs. Sorry, at Action Network. Uh, we have him ranked both as a running back and as a tight end for people who are playing in leagues where uh, he has dual eligibility. Uh, so people can check that out at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. Chris, what are you looking at uh, with Samuels? You know, I like, you know, I've heard some people kind of hesitant to, to throw him in there. Um, but like, like why? Like he's, he, like they said, he's going to be the starter. He's a better pass catcher than, uh, than Ridley. So, you know, you're still getting that kind of the, the floor of, okay, if things don't go as expected, you know, you can catch some passes. I mean, he's caught a couple of touch. He's like been in the end zone, which is it's always good when you have a track record of, uh, of production, you know, coming into these kind of games. So, I mean, I don't really see any reason to go again to, to not play him, you know, at this point in, in cash games, like, mm-hmm. going against the worst, the worst defense uh, essentially in the league. Um, and I, I expect him to split work with Ridley, maybe even Ridley out carries him, but, um, when you add that pass game, and he's just a better player. I mean, he's a good right. player. Like he's yeah. like the fact that he's playing tight end and or at least has has played tight end is listed as a tight end as well. Is like should show you that he's a a versatile guy that can do many things. So I'd be very excited to to throw him in my lineups. Yeah, he was an all around playmaker in college. Yeah, Jeffrey Wilson. Uh, I think some people will either consider going with Samuels or going with Wilson as a you know a cheap guy, and some people might even look to put both of them in their their lineups. What are you thinking with this matchup here as like the, the injury fill-in to the injury fill-in? He kind of catches the short end of a stick because you also have Justin Jackson here. Um, Price is essentially in the same spot as Wilson. And I think that um, because on FanDuel, Jackson is actually 4,500 on FanDuel. I expect Justin Jackson to, to, uh, to essentially kind of get Melvin Gordon's workload and Eckler to kind of go back to being like Eckler. So I would probably play – Samuel and Jackson over Wilson, just because I still do have respect for this Denver Broncos defense. Um, but if for some reason Jackson doesn't, isn't an option anymore, or, you know, Gordon's going to play, or they kind of go back to saying Eckler is going to be like the lead guy again or whatever, not um, I think, you know, Wilson just at, at that price, you know, 5,600 on FanDuel, uh, what is it? 37, 3,800 on DraftKings. You know, you just kind of take the, the free square at the volume if, if you need it. But um, I'd still rather play Samuels because I think he has a better uh, matchup and I think he's probably more talented. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, a few expensive guys here. Tell me which one you like the most. Christian McCaffrey at Cleveland, Ezekiel Elliott versus the Eagles, Saquon Barkley at Washington, Alvin Kamara at Tampa Bay. Uh, give me Christian just because, like, first we mentioned it, you know, Cleveland weakness against the run. Carolina really needs this football game. Um, you know, Denzel Ward could take out one of the wide receivers, maybe DJ Moore. Like, uh, I think Christian McCaffrey's in for – and we've just seen monster game. Like, Christian McCaffrey has – like, Zeke has been consistent. Barkley's been consistent. But, I mean, McCaffrey's had, like, 50-point fantasy games. Like, it's – I think you, you got to favor him. At the All right, let's go to wide receiver. Uh, the guy who catches my eye uh, is Chris Godwin uh, going against the Saints. Obviously, this is under the assumption that Deshaun Jackson does not play. Um, what are your thoughts on Godwin? Uh, love Godwin. Deshaun Jackson might not. Uh, they say, they're talking about he might not play for the rest of the year. So, right. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Love Godwin, but love Adam Humphreys as well, um, because the way you attack the Saints is in the slot first and foremost. So I think Adam Humphreys great matchup. I think it's kind of a repeat of last week where 
It's like Mike Evans might be a little bit overvalued. You know, Mike Evans hasn't quite been like that, this target monster that we've ex- come to expect, um, whether it's been Jameis or, or Fitz, a little better with Fitz actually, but I, I think you, you want to target both of these Bucks receivers again, just like last week, um, Godwin and, and Humphreys. Godwin has huge, huge upside because he's going to play on the outside, you know, every, pretty much every snap uh, with, uh, with Deshaun out. And we saw that, you know, the 100-yard game last week. Yeah, I think he has ability um, to go deep. He has ability in the red zone. So just um, a good, good all-around spot for these Bucks guys. All right, someone else who has a high ownership projection is Keenan Allen uh, in a great matchup against the Bengals who have just been uh, really exploitable on defense recently. What are your thoughts with him? I, I, I like Keenan Allen. Um, I, th- I think I was on the Keenan side in that whole uh, A.J. Green. Yeah, you were. Yeah, but I mean, which obviously. Look, look, looking good now. It's looking good now. It's, yeah. looking, good now. it's yeah. looking good now, but I mean, yeah, I mean. But I, I do worry a little bit just about the volume in this game because, you know, last week we all kind of, again, national TV game. Um, we kind of have, you know, the, the rec- we're recently biased by this monster volume game from Keenan Allen. Uh, but that was in a game that was a 30-23 game, uh, where is it, 30, whatever the score was, uh, you know, high scoring game where they needed to put up points. This is a game where they're 14-point favorite. Philip Rivers not throwing the ball very much. He's around 32 or so attempts per game. So um, I, that the one thing I just worry about is, is volume here to really take them over the top. I'd probably um, save them more for a tournament play maybe, um, you know, if, if the game is a little closer or as like a, a leverage off – Jackson, who I think will be pretty highly owned um, if, if the, the week kind of plays out with, with Gordon ending up sitting out. So um, that, that's my kind of feeling on him. All right. Uh, one guy uh, that a lot of people are going to consider is Cortland Sutton at San Francisco, uh, especially now with uh, Emmanuel Sanders being out. What are your thoughts on him? You know, another guy who I think, you know, the volume is there. So it's like you don't really – at that, like he's down at 4,500. Um, I don't think you, you know, I don't hate it, but I, I always do worry about those situations where um, you have kind of a not, not that great quarterback and you have a receiver who is now going to be getting all of the defensive attention um, for the, for essentially the first time. And there's not really um, many options around him to, to take that heat off. So um, I, I, and also this could be a, a low scoring game because, you know, we talked about it earlier. This is just too, you know, San Francisco is not a, a very good team, not likely to put a lot of pressure on Denver either way um, in terms of scoring a, a lot of points. So that, that's, he's another guy that um, because there's all this value at running back, which is still like the, the position where you can um, be a little more uh, certain of, of what you're getting from a, from a running back. Uh, I I'd probably try to like stay off Sutton if I could, because I, I, I could see a lot of situations where he ends up being bad chalk. Like, remember, even when Demarius went down, like Sutton, like he was, he was putting together like these like halfway useful fantasy games, but he never really had this uh, explosion um, until it was last week. So, you know, I, I think I, I see some downside with them. Okay. Uh, a few expensive guys here. Michael Thomas at Tampa Bay, Julio Jones at Green Bay, uh, Devontae Adams versus Atlanta, DeAndre Hopkins versus Indianapolis, and Odell Beckham at Washington. Uh, out of those guys, uh, who do you like the most? Devontae Adams. I think that, like, first of all, Devontae Adams has been amazing just, like, this year. Like, he's another guy. I mean, it's not just Aaron Rodgers. Like, Devontae Adams, you know, his ability to kind of adjust to what Aaron Rodgers is doing out there um, it has been just spectacular. I think he, he's a man amongst boys in that receiving core. And uh, this Atlanta defense is, you know, bottom bottom four against the, the pass. 
and they have a new coach. So I think you might see, you know, even smarter, more creative offense, but I think either way that that just helps Adams. And he's like almost an automatic touchdown bet at this point. So give me, give me Devonta. All right. It's tight end. Uh, there are two expensive guys and then two cheaper guys who are kind of standing out in our ownership projections. You have Zach Ertz and Travis Kelsey on the higher side. And then a little bit further down, you have Eric Ebron and George Kittle. Uh, what are your thoughts on them? Well, you know, the Houston Texans, aside from David Njoku last week, uh, have been getting just demolished by tight ends for most of the year. So I, I think he, assuming Ebron plays, I know he popped up on the injury report, but uh, assuming he plays, I'd still like going back to to Ebron in the spot, though. He's a little pricey. So, I mean, you know, I probably end up in cash games still going with somebody like Gronk there at, uh, at 4,800 because Ebron is 5,700. I mean, Miami is a team that I generally do like to target with, uh, with like backs and tight ends and whatnot. So I have no problem playing, playing uh, Gronk down there at, uh, at 4,800. I think Ertz tournament play, Kelsey, great tournament play. Um, generally don't prefer to pay up that much for tight ends in cash games. Although this week, I think you can do it because you have, you could conceivably start three running backs on DraftKings that are under 4k. Um, you could also, you know, there's Sutton. So there, there are options, which well, I don't think it's a, a terrible move um, to, to, to pay up at tight end. Um, but, you know, you have Kelsey probably, you know, the Baltimore Ravens have been somewhat vulnerable to tight ends, but it's still a matchup where you don't quite expect the Chiefs to score as many points as they usually do. And then, you know, Ertz against going against Dallas, I think you can feel pretty confident about him. But uh, that's another situation where, you know, th- those kind of games tend to go under second divisional matchup, Dak Prescott. So um, I probably I, I like the discount here with, uh, with Gronk, to be honest. To your point on Gronk, Peter Jennings, uh, obviously, CSU Ram 88, uh, tweeted out earlier uh, based on the data in the Fantasy Labs trends tool. This is the cheapest that Gronk has ever been on DraftKings. Oh baby. So, uh, you know, it's yeah. like if you're if you're looking to buy low, this is this is the time. I mean, he has uh, three touchdown upside. Like, I mean, I know he's yeah. been yeah, but yeah, it's like why not? I mean, tight end's been such a, a you know wasteland anyway that like for all we know, you end up paying up for, for Zach Ertz and he gets like two catches. So I mean, like, yeah, give me give me Gronk. Yeah. All right, we're going to close out the show with our fourth and goal segment previewing Sunday night football, but first let's kick it to Ian Harditz, who runs through the key week fourteen coverage situations. The press, the jam, and the five-yard bump. Ian Harditz brings you Dance of the Divas. Week 14 features seven key shadow matchups. Robbie Anderson versus Tredavious White. Uh, Anderson did roast the Bills' number one cornerback for a 25-yard touchdown last season, but it's tough to get behind anyone in this passing game with Sam Darnold expected back under center. Odell Beckham Jr. will take on Josh Norman. Redskins' number two cornerback Quentin Dunbar is done for the season, so we can expect Norman to shadow every week moving forward. OBJ has won this matchup in three of their four career rivalry games. Mike Evans will take on Marshawn Lattimore. Evans obviously dominated their first matchup, but make sure to check the weather on this one there's a very high chance of precipitation the over under has been in a free fall all week uh the browns and panthers will feature three shadow matchups uh between the browns wide receivers and panthers corners antonio callaway will face off against speedy rookie dante jackson richard higgins will see plus size number one james bradbury and jarvis landry will see nickelback captain munderland Devontae parker and kenny stills will face off against stefan gilmore and jason mccourty Patriots cornerbacks are capable of dominating these matchups. Neither Parker nor Stills 
defense has gained over 60 yards in their previous matchups against New England, uh, dating back to last season. Kenny Galladay and Patrick Peterson should see plenty of each other, but Patrick Peterson doesn't go inside, and Galladay has lined up in the slot in 41% of his snaps over the past two weeks. Tyler Lockett will face off with Xavier Rhodes. Lockett has a type of dynamic ability that can give a larger cornerback like Rhodes problems, but much like uh, some of these other teams, it's tough to see too much pass volume coming out of Seattle. My favorite matchup of the week is Cortland Sutton versus the 49ers. Even before the Emmanuel Sanders injury, Sutton was set up exceptionally well in this game. Richard Sherman does not travel. He does not move across the field, so we're expecting Sutton to line up across from liability Akella Witherspoon on roughly 55% of his snaps Sunday. All right, that was Ian. Be sure to check out his wide receiver cornerback matchup column each week at the Action Network. Chris, Sunday Night Football, the Rams at the Bears. Rams favored by three, a 51.5 over under. The Rams have locked up the NFC West uh, and are playing for the number one seed. The Bears are coming off a loss to the lowly Giants, but Mitch Trubisky is practicing in full and expected to be back. What are your thoughts here? I I like this spot as a rebound spot for the Bears. I think, uh, you know, they – People didn't expect him to lose to the Giants. And uh, now, you know, Trubisky's coming back. Uh, that's, a, that's a big upgrade for them, especially in a, a situation like this with a defense, I think, that is exploitable. Um, but that can also get a pass rush and, and collapse the pocket um, from the inside as well. So I think just having Trubisky's mobile ability back in the lineup is going to play a, a key role for Chicago. Uh, I think that without Cooper Cup, I think this Rams offense is a little bit uh, more vulnerable um, going on the road here to Chicago, it, you know, I think that uh, could pose could pose a little bit of, of a problem for the for the Rams. So I'm, you know, I'm getting three points with with the Bears. I am taking that. You know, uh, if you look at uh, John Ewing, actually had a good trend in the in the in the betting guide for us at the Action Network this week for this game, betting against teams that have won more than eighty percent of their games in December or later. 134, 101, and two. That's a 57% uh, hit rate against the spread um, going back to 2003. Um, that kind of, that was one of the, the reasons, you know, betting against the, uh, the Chiefs last week, you know, a few spots where you wouldn't really think to bet against these teams kind of tends to pay off. Um, but I, I think the Bears have a chance to win this game. So that I'm, I'm, I'm going with the Bears here. Yeah, I'm going to take the other side. I'll go with the Rams. Uh, and if it were three and a half, I would be much less interested in taking this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but knowing that I do have the opportunity to push it three, uh, mm-hmm. gives, you know, just a little more uh, security there. And, you know, uh, ordinarily, uh, I would be interested in taking the, the team total. Um, but I do respect the Bears defense. But I, you know, I also think that uh, I feel comfortable enough taking the Rams because I don't have all that much I don't know. Like, I, I still think that Trubisky is developing. You know what I mean? Like, he's not – I don't think he's, like, the player he's he's going to be yet or that they want him to be yet. And Aqib Tlaib is back. You know, I think they were easing him into action last week. Uh, I expect him to play more snaps this week. So, like, I think we're going to see a better version of the Rams. Trubisky, I think, will – I don't think they would play him if he weren't healthy. But, you know, like returning from injury, being off a couple of weeks, like I could see there being a little bit of rust. And I don't know. I just like I, I think I think the Rams are better than a lot of other teams. I think the Bears have done a really good job of coming back from like they're playing a last place schedule. You know what I mean? Like I think they've done a good job of maximizing what they've had this year. But I just don't see them as being three points less than 
the Rams. I think they are more like six or seven points less than the Rams. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's definitely fair. I think for me, kind of the equalizer is like it's in Chicago. Yeah. It's in the cold weather where Jared Goff hasn't really had that much experience with. And like just from watching this Rams offense, like post, like I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, um, they had they had kind of struggled without Cooper Cup at times. And then, you know, they they obviously had the you know, the big game against the, the Chiefs, which you kind of expected. But even in the, the – who did they play last week? Detroit, right? Even in that game, like, they were pretty sluggish for, for a good a good while. Like, th- that first half, the Rams didn't really look like the Rams either. So it's like just seeing the fact that, like, without Cup, this team can be mortal at times and they can go through stretches where they're not just scoring points on every single drive or every other drive. Um, against a defense that's as good as Chicago in Chicago, it just gives me a little bit of pause. So I think it's like a, I think it's a little bit more of a toss up. And uh, so I like I like getting those three. But but I, I hear I mean the Rams are the better team, no question about it. But uh, you know you have Matt Nagy on the other side, you know, yeah. guy that can kind of not not match with with Sean McVay, but you know, get 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 he's in the good. same yeah, he's good. He's, in the neighborhood. Yeah. That we, yeah. yeah, like he's he's definitely done a really good job with that offense. Uh, and, and one thing to your point, I mean, it's their, it's their second game for the Rams, their second game on the road, you know, so uh, not, not an ideal circumstance for them at all. Okay, Chris, you are going to be breaking down the Monday night game with Ian on our next show. Any final words? Let's get this money and let's give this money because it's the holiday season. <laughs> all right. That's going to do it for this Friday episode of the Action Network NFL podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for all of our upcoming episodes. For Chris Raybon, I'm Matthew Freeman, Matt at the Oracle. See you again next episode.